So, uh, Mark, yeah. if people didn't already know we're Jewish, I think we, <laughs> we proved it last week by embarrassingly confusing Waylon Jennings, who did sing the theme song to the Dukes of Hazard, with Merle Haggard. May he rest in peace, who did not. It was not one of our finer moments in terms of outreach to the heartland. Oh, God, no. Uh, <laughs> America, in case, in case you were wondering. We apologize. Yeah, we're, we're huge Jews. We'll never confuse, you know, Yossi Green with Shlomo Karlebach. Uh, but Marilyn Waylon, <laughs> there would be a Shonda. But throw us an outlaw country singer prominent in the seventies and eighties. They all look the same and to they us. All look grizzled and bearded. And Willie Nelson, if you're listening, <laughs> shalom. <laughs> He's the one with the braids, right? Greetings! This is Unorthodox, a weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. I'm Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by Liel Leibowitz. Chag Samech v'kasher l'chol b'Yisrael. All of that. And Stephanie Butnick. Hey! Hey! Our guests this week are David Tuckman, host of the podcast Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible, and an Irish gentleman whose name I don't dare pronounce yet. More on that when we get to him. Uh, Stephanie, Liel, how are your Pesach preparations? How's your cleaning coming? Well, I realized... I want to clean my apartment, but there's no food in it. So I like all I have is actually just like boxes of pasta and like maybe I don't even know if I have flour. So I want to do like a really an introspective cleaning where I sort of like evaluate the state of my life. You're going to do Marie Kondo on your soul. Yes. Yes. You're exactly. tidy up. And yeah. my and my cupboards. Liel? Uh, I, I had uh, that meeting with my butcher yesterday. <laughs> it went very well. I placed some orders. Uh-huh. I'm very excited. What do you, are you, you're hosting, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. How many there's, people? There's some meat involved. One yeah, night or, one night or, you're Israeli, so one night or two? Uh, I do one night. You do it's, one night? It's all I could take. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> First, a little news of the Jews. From New York Magazine, and I can't put it any better than to just quote New York Magazine, in the debate over circumcision, people have long wondered, is a cut man any less sensitive than a hooded dude? Canadian researchers have published a new paper on the little study topic. And amazingly, they recruited 62 men willing to have their dicks prodded for a mere <laughs> for a mere $60 honorarium. For the paper published in the Journal of Urology, researchers from Queen's University gathered 62 men, 30 circumcised, 32 intact. The researchers used various tools to test the men's sensitivity to touch, pain, and warmth at three or four spots on their tools, I mean their penises, and a spot on their forearms as a control site. The results, circumcised men don't have any less sensitivity, seemingly disproving the myth that uncovered heads become calloused. The foreskin of intact men was very sensitive to light touch, but not so when it came to warmth or pain, which the researchers argued are more relevant to sex. All the men reported similar levels of sexual satisfaction. I have to say, this wasn't just on New York Magazine. This was on their blog, The Cut. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. Keeping it classy, New York Magazine. Bernie Sanders, (laughs) keeping it classy, the Bernie Sanders campaign fired their Jewish outreach. Speaking of dicks. (laughs) Fired fired their Jewish outreach coordinator, the beautifully named, we can all agree, Simone Zimmerman. After the free beacon, whatever that is, published Facebook screenshots. That's the greatest publication in America, sir. Published Facebook Second screenshots. Second tablet. Dating from March 2015, in which she called Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, quote, an arrogant, cynical, manipulative asshole. Now, this is something that I think Leah Leibowitz has said about. Oh, I've said that in print <laughs> like a million times. Like, there are a few people who follow Jewish affairs who haven't at some point called Netanyahu something far worse. Um, she had also written in favor of ending the occupation of the West Bank in Haaretz. I mean, she had said kind of lefty Jewish things, and then Abe Foxman got on the horn and somehow bullied Sanders into 
firing her. And I don't know. All in all, let me let me say this about this whole thing, right? I don't know Simone Zimmerman from, you know, the Adam from Eve, but I'm always against firing as a thing. Like, I actually have some respect for Donald Trump, who is sticking with his campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, no matter how many people he gropes at rallies, no matter how many times he's arrested. There's a kind I actually respect the loyalty. You hire someone to just dump them when they get in trouble, even if it's deserved trouble. It strikes me as kind of low class. I agree. And nothing about her stances were particularly private. I mean, she's written these things before. Like if you if you hired her, you presumably knew about her her leanings and then to sort of say, oh, wait, actually, this is not appropriate. I, I agree that it, it puts... the candidate is so much worse than she is. I mean, right. He's the, the one who thought ten... 800,000 Palestinians massacred in Gaza by, you know, Israeli atom bombs thing. I mean, Simone Zimmerman's the last of your problems when it comes to Israel, dude. Right. And I'm going to vote for him anyway, even though he knows nothing about Israel and thinks that or, it... or you know, the economy or yeah, the environment yeah, yeah. or any other topic of any consequence. But he's going to so break America. up the banks. But he's going to break up the banks. <laughs> he's totally going to break up the banks. muscular, Look, the West banks. feeble arms. Yeah. You joke, Could Liel. He could he break up the West Banks? You, Probably. Leo, you joke, but you would like living in Burlington. And if he could turn the whole country into a big Burlington, you'd be, you like nature. You, I like nature and I like guns. It, yeah. ends, it's, it ends there. He's basically you know? your candidate. He's the pro nature, pro gun, pro New England guy. Well, as right. If he you're also, house shopping in New England. If he also had, uh, if he also had, you know, a real sane kind of. If, if, you if. know, grasp of reality if. and policies that worked and respected, you know, individual liberties, I would love voting for him. You're Hashtag gonna... I'm with her. You're with Simone. Hashtag no. we stand with Simone. No, the other her, the big H. Who's that? Her. I just threw in a little Hiller. Oh. In Melbourne last week, an Orthodox Jew was stabbed in the chest in the synagogue. According to the Haredi website, Kikar HaShabbat, Two men were fighting after one refused to pass the herring to the other at the Kiddush after services, prompting the spurned would-be herring eater to take out a knife and stab the herring hoarder near the heart. (laughs) So in what is the greatest story (laughs) ever, ever, ever. I have to say, our Australian colleagues were not like as riled up about this as we were. They're like, oh, that happens all the time. Also funny, it it was a Sephardi synagogue. Why is that funny? Because why were they because eating herring? What's the herring? Thing? I would associate the herring with, you know. Oh, it's right. It's a very, very, very small group of people. Eastern European. Eastern European yeah. who, who like to inflict pain on themselves like by eating herring. they have so many other things to choose from. They right. could be the hummus. They have actually good our... food. <laughs> why are they eating fish in a jar with cream? I mean, what's wrong with you people? Because the, you know, Anglo-normative ways of, uh, of, of Australia have pushed them into have an it, Ashkenazi mold. Infected them. Speaking of internecine Jewish culinary conflict, we know that during Passover, um, all Jews are supposed to refrain from eating chametz, the five grains, wheat, barley, oats, rye, and spelt, and anything made from them. Um, But traditionally, Ashkenazi Jews have also avoided eating kidney oat, which is a category that includes legumes, corn, and rice. Now the conservative movement has issued two new teshuvot, or religious rulings, saying that Ashkenazi Jews can eat kidney oat like their Sephardi brethren and cistern. Um, so this is something that my family always did anyway, because we're vegetarians. And like, if we cut out meat and rice and cor- like, we'd be. You'd starve. We'd starve. Those eight days. We'd starve. But there has been some pushback. Um, an article in the forward this week, our fellow Jewish publication argued that it may be. What, what did it argue again? There was a like cultural appropriation suggested that Ashkenazi Jews would now be eating kidney oat. And specifically in the way this was phrased, this ruling, 
it wasn't like in the spirit of cooperation and, and communication. It was sort of like, well, they do it so we could do it too. You know, whenever I read an article like that, that is completely batshit crazy, the first thing that I do is go down and read the author's bio to see, <laughs> to see what university he or she is a tenured professor and a, or a doctoral candidate at. And sure enough, this was written by a doctoral candidate at NYU who claimed that it is cultural appropriation if I, Leibowitz, eat rice on Passover. So I, I don't know. I mean, to be fair to the article in the forward, what she said was that if you read the Teshvot that the rabbis wrote, that they could have at least nodded toward the fact that there is this whole other stream of Judaism that has traditions that justify the thing they're trying to justify. In other words, they should have looked for sourcing yes. in this yeah. other tradition. That's what the that cultural appropriation been, That would have arguing. been a sane argument. But then to say, like, you should kind of feel bad because you're culturally appropriating my beans is... In any event, one of the things we're learning is that a lot of unorthodox listeners are not affiliated with synagogues, and they actually look to us for Jewish guidance. and For rulings. For rulings. And we would like to rule that you should eat whatever you want. I, I mean, like, not, not chamez. I would like to rule that you can eat whatever the fuck you want <laughs> at any given time. And if you truly believe that God cares about what you put in your mouth, I think you have another thing coming. I don't eat no Issue number two of the Tablet Print Magazine is out. Stephanie Butnick is one of the editors who brings it to you. What what should people be looking for in the print mag, Stephanie? Um, well, we've talked about some of the stuff before. There's a great profile of Jerry Salt. Our own Mark Oppenheimer has a great piece in it. Um, a great essay by Gary Steingart on why shaving is inherently not Jewish. Um, yeah, just a lot of good stuff. And they can get it by... Texting tablet to 66866. Also, Mark's story is about sex. Let's yeah. be very clear about that. That it is. Yeah. Our guest Jew this week is David Tushman. Tushman? Uh, Tuckman. Tuckman. Tushman, if you're a telemarketer, I think. David Tuckman, the host of the podcast, Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible. OMGWTFB, as it is known, features a guest every week reading from David's own translation of our holy book, which he learned in Orthodox Day School. Mm -hmm. Yes, you, yes absolutely. That's where you get your Hebrew from? Yeshiva for 18 years. Uh, well, he, <laughs> it's a a holy number of yes. yeshiva years. Hi. So while David makes snarky comments in the background, I have been one of the guests, one of his Bible readers. It was a pleasure. I highly recommend the podcast. It is so irreverent that it makes unorthodox look, dare I say, reverent. Orthodox. Orthodox. <laughs> it's It's gotten to the point where it's so irreverent, it's turned around and come back to reverence in a way. You know what? I kind of agree with that. It's like, you know, Courtney Love having done so much heroin that she makes complete <laughs> sense now. Yes, exactly. In, in a way. Yeah. I've gotten so stoned through the Bible that I'm sober again. This is really only the work of someone who spent his entire life in the yeshiva. Like, yes. right? No one else would like, ever... this is your therapy. This is my... This is how I'm working through every issue that I've had with it and just shouting about it in a podcast online. Right. But, so, li lie down. Wait, 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 wait. Lie down on, on this chair and, okay. and tell us tell us all about it space. oh gosh well i mean part of the reason behind while i did this or, or what went into me wanting to do this was the frustration with how the tanakh is taught in in orthodox day school it's taught to jews growing up where it's kind of just given to us and we're told this is how you're supposed to understand the text this is what the torah means to us almost like it was like the word of god exactly yeah. almost <laughs> as if, but even to the point where um you know you have the oral law the torah shabbat that's also given with it and that's 
the way to understand it too, which may be from God. Uh, that's how we learn about it, but it seems to be something that was added later on. So, this is my attempt at trying to re-understand the Torah for myself and understand what it actually means to me. And it, I've never really read the whole thing before, and you never really do in yeshiva too, which is a fun thing to do too, because there are so many interesting things that we just skip right over. So... Where did you go to school? I think we have to get your yechus in. Okay, so I went to the Yeshiva of Central Queens for day school, and then I went to um, the Davis Renoff Stoller Hebrew Academy of Long Beach School for Boys for high school. <laughs> That's an amazing name. Yes. And, and how hardcore were these places? I mean, they like, were, when you got out of school, wow. did you, had you, you know, how bad was your pop culture knowledge? How afraid of girls were you? Well, I was incredibly afraid of girls, but that had more to do me, with me being a super duper nerd. Um, and I had a lot of pop culture. I mean, we're kind of in the modern Orthodox world where you're engaged in pop culture, you're engaged in the world, but you only do it with other Jews. So sports are really, really big because it's a very... Wait, what you mean to say like journalism or banking or... Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Running running movie studios. <laughs> exactly. exactly. We, you know, you go to sports games, but only with other Jews. You don't talk to anybody outside of that sphere. Um, but... A lot of block ticket sales. <laughs> exactly. A lot of school and trips. And Jewish especially Heritage on Night. So, exactly. Especially s- Jewish Heritage <laughs> Night at Shea. Is that a real thing? It's a real oh, thing. It's amazing. Yes. It's a real thing. Everyone does it. They go all out. It's amazing. It's basically where you meet your, your Bashert. That and the great adventure trip on Chol Moed Sukkot. Um, but we... This is my trying to kind of re-embrace what this is. Um, so what I was saying is that, you know, we're very modern Orthodox, so we're engaged in the world, but we're also there's kind of a retrenchment too. So as you get older and as you approach adulthood, there's kind of a pushback against it, especially in the kind of school that I went to, which is a little bit more right-wing. I was, I think there were three boys, because we were all boys, in my graduating class who didn't go to study in yeshiva in Israel afterwards or who didn't go to yeshiva university. You're so one of them. I was, well, I went to, uh, I went to yeshiva at Hartzion in Israel and then left after three months after I bit a crisis of faith. But I'm one of the few graduates who didn't go to yeshiva university. I went to a secular school afterwards. And was that, was that a big move? Was that a big statement? Did you sit mom and dad down and say, I aspire to other than uptown Manhattan? Um, I don't know if I put it that way, but I did have a, uh, I did sit with them and say, you know, I don't want to go to Yeshiva University. That's not the kind of life I want to live. I want to move outside of the world that I've grew up in. And were they okay with that? Um, they were because I got into Cooper Union, but I don't know if I hadn't done that. <laughs> You're like, I got to this Jewish free parents. college. Yes, like, exactly. Okay, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> the best engineering school in the country, all right. But then, and but still then the in joke... New York City. So. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and but, free. But then the joke's on you, right? Because here you think you were, just exactly. as you you were out, they pull you Exactly. I never thought when I was 20 <laughs> or 18, right after I left, that I would literally spend every day reading the Torah, but here I am. <laughs> so how did you get to the point where you're like, okay, I need to translate the Bible? Because that's what you did. Um, that's what I did. I was doing a lot of comedy in New York, doing stand-up comedy, trying to find something that worked, trying to find a persona or something that what I wanted to talk about or find my voice. And I always wanted to tell the story of Tamar on stage, the story of Yehuda and Tamar. Um, Yehuda has a couple of sons. That's how Seinfeld started out, by the way. <laughs> they wanted to tell the story of Tamar. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he was a puller-outer. He came... <laughs> He was a floor spiller. So I wanted to tell that story on front of a stage. And I also knew that I spoke Hebrew and could read Hebrew. So I thought it'd be fun if I could write my own translation of that. Um, So I sat down one night to do it while procrastinating some other project that I didn't feel like doing. And I started writing the translation. I very quickly realized I should just do this whole freaking thing. So I turned back to the first page and I started writing and still haven't gotten back to that other project, but it's been four years, uh, really four years, because I started in April of 2012. And are you going 
so many chapters per week or what's the schedule? So each podcast is a Parsha. So I'm following, um, I've decided that it makes the most sense to follow the uh, chapters or the episodes or the selections that's read in Orthodox shuls every week or more traditional shuls every week. What's the funniest bit in the Bible that we're not really acknowledging? That's a really, really good question. My favorite bit And this is incredibly irreverent, and I might get in big trouble for it, but there's a scene... You know what? They're not having you back to give the graduation speech at your high school (laughs) anyway. You've already already lost that crowd, so... All right, let's go for it. Carry on. So there's a scene, and I really love the way that this was read. I had Shulam Dean on, and he read this, uh, author of All Who Go Who Do Not Return, and he was a really great reader. There's a scene right after um, the Sin of the Golden Calf, where... Moshe is pleading with God on the mountain and finally convinces him to to forgive the people and give them another set of the laws, whichever laws end up on the tablet. I'm not sure it's really the Ten Commandments, but to give them another set of laws. And God is like, all right, I forgive you, and now I'm going to reveal my glory to you. So I'm going to stick you into a little crack on this mountain, and I'm going to fly over you, and you're not going to see my face, but you're going to see my butt. And God sticks Moses and there's a great rush of winds and God flies over Moses and Moses gets to see God's butt. And that was amazing played, to me. And I played in the movie version by Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> Paul Giamatti. Or Paul Giamatti. <laughs> You're going to see my butt. So that was, a, I didn't know that was there and I thought that was really hilarious. And then after, God's majestic butt is so majestic that Moses' face shines for the rest of his life or maybe he's got some kind of skin damage or, or something wrong with his face so whenever he appears he's got in a front stutter of, and he's got bad skin exactly he's a complete disaster he woke up like that and it does not look good he has to wear a mask for the rest of his life whenever the, the sons of israel Bnei israel see him um i thought that was hilarious because of and god's I, butt because of god's butt because god's butt is just so powerful that ass am i right and are you still doing stand-up uh, no, because <laughs> I have no time to write jokes, only time for Bible. Because you've traded up to the more He's a Torah scholar now. Exactly. I, I am a scholar now. Are I'm mom a... and dad really happy now? They're happy that I'm, I'm, yeah, they are kind of. Do they I mean, listen to the podcast? They, I've actually been to a recording. I think I saw my mother cringe every time I said the yeah. word fuck, but <laughs> I think they're happy. Like, when I first told them about what I was doing, I think they were a little bit uncomfortable with it. But once they saw like four years in, I'm still doing this and I'm actually kind of serious about it, they're. They're like, okay, they're warming up to this. <laughs> I have to say, I've been to one of the live shows, and yes. they're really fun. They were, they're it was packed, super it was full fun. of people. Um, yeah. Our coworker um, Alyssa Goldstein, who's been on the podcast, was the guest, and it's hilarious. Am I the only tablet person who has not been on the I podcast? I'm waiting for an invitation. So yeah, it's going to come. Are, okay. <laughs> Just, I'm just know, going through no, really no pressure. every yeah. Jewish media personality I can yeah. find. I mean, he worked his way all the way down to me, so you guys <laughs> you guys can't be far behind. You were on the list for a while. So, But what's, what's fun about the recordings, too, is that after we finish the recording, we, we kind of hang out and we talk about the stuff that we've read and I feel like it's one of the few times that you actually talk about religion openly in New York and we have a discussion last night we recorded the part where we learned a lot of laws about when you're allowed to touch women uh, depending on what time of the month it is and that led to some really interesting conversations and somebody who realized that they needed a tampon earlier in the night got that tampon so God truly was in the room (laughs) So I have a question. We have a yes. biggie coming up, Passover. Yes. Like, so what? What are like fun things for people to say at their seder? Like, by the you know, God's butt is a great one. God's but is there is anything like one. specific to you know the Exodus story that we can really just like impress people with? <laughs> um, that's what you're here for, by the way. That's what I'm here for. Um, let me think. I, I really, 
I really enjoy the whole emergence of the Passover, um, like the, the, the word Passover and how the holiday becomes that just because it's so barbaric and twisted. Like it's very, very much tied to animal sacrifice in a very old school kind of religion where they have to take these goats, slaughter them and rub blood over their lintel, their lampposts, if you're John Kasich, but really their doorposts. <laughs> And that is just, I love how Passover is just so really disgusting. If we were truly celebrating it the right way, we would have lamb po- oh, blood yeah. on our doorposts. It's amazing. Yeah. It's like it we is sanitized it. It is, it is like a Michael Bay production. Right? Yeah. There um, must it's be really explosions. And- there must be some sort of really, really small sect-like group of Jews somewhere <laughs> that, that like, still real about this. that like slaughters the lamb and puts the blood on their doorways right like right on top of them like they slather the mezuzah in, in lamb's blood that's mm-hmm. how how is no how is like new square not decided to do right? that in one of the more smelly parts of borough park like that should be happening that should be happening listeners if you uh, <laughs> smear lamb's blood over your doorstep please Instagram write to it. us at unorthodox <laughs> and instagram that for us please send us a vine david if people want to listen to oh my god what the fuck bible mm-hmm how might they do that? They can do that in iTunes, the same place that they're listening to this. They can really do it anywhere that podcasts are not sold, but just available on the internet. <laughs> Distributed for free. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they can do it at OMGWTF Bible, and they can do it on SoundCloud. Uh, there are a bunch of episodes up on YouTube, and they can come to a live show, which happened in New York once a month. We just did the last one last night, so the next episode is going up on Thursday. And what Parsha will that be? That will be Parshat Mitzurah. So you're going to learn all about... Uh, how to cleanse yourself after you have a very serious rash, what to do if your house has mold in it. Uh, the answer is destroy it. Guess what? Um, what to do if you just have some kind of discharge from your penis and uh, whether or not you're I've allowed to... I've been wondering to... about that one yeah. for a while. Yeah, <laughs> Really? So basically, uh, just take a bath. And what to do uh, if you're on your period. But so... I feel like the Bible is just the internet. <laughs> like you can just like it just gives you the answers to things you like didn't know you wanted to know right and very specific things that you really didn't want to know it's like uh, I have some discharge from my penis I'll just google Parashat Mitzora <laughs> yeah. and is all you need to know and burn your house down <laughs> and burn your the great burn thing your is house down. Every, it's like WebMD at WebMD everything is cancer in the Torah everything is leprosy on that Love note <laughs> David have a good have a good pace off thank you you too hug some man. talk a little bit about our sponsor because Harry's is back sponsoring us this week and we are thrilled. I have a few products that I love right now. I'll just I'll just say them. I'll just I'll just tell you a little TMI about myself. I'm wearing uh, my Clark's Wallaby shoes, which I'm just loving, even though my wife thinks they're ugly. Um, I'm into Johnny O's pants. I just I'm a pro- I'm kind of a product whore. But none of these people are pink. Yeah, right. no, these, this right. is free advertising. They're, they're just I'm giving horrible, them free advertising. Horrible I'm just, companies. But I'm happy. I'm just saying I keep it real. I want people to know who they're dealing with. And I, they're dealing with someone who this morning shaved with a Harry's razor, as I do every morning, except Sundays when my face takes a day of rest. And let me tell you, yeah, you, you, you look a very radiant. clean shave. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, your no. face looks even more like babyish than usual. Or as Jill Cargman said when she saw you, Stephanie, oh my God, your skin looks like a fetus. I know, and she meant it as the highest compliment. She I was like, the highest thank compliment. you. I wouldn't say that I look fetus smooth, but I am smooth. And um, Harry's is the reason why. It's really no, it's really a great product. I used to be a Gillette person, and I switched. Um, for a number of reasons. One is 
the cartridges and everything, the shave cream, everything comes in the mail. So you don't have to sit around waiting for the clerk at the Walgreens or the Dwayne Reed to open the plexiglass case because people are stealing the cartridges and all that. So it comes in the mail, which is just enormously convenient. Um, It's German engineered. The blades work. They're very sharp. Be careful. They're good sharp. Um, And, uh, you know, above all, better prices. The Harry starter set, which they call the Truman, is a great option for new customers, and it's an amazing deal. So for just $15, you can get a razor handle, moisturizing shave cream, and three of Harry's five-blade German-engineered razors, um, all shipped right to your door. And then you sign up for a service that keeps them coming periodically. So you just you just stop worrying about it. Plus, there's a special offer for fans of the show. Harry's will give you $5 off of your first purchase if you go to their website and enter the promo code unorthodox. So you want to go to harrys.com. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. There's no apostrophe, just harrys.com. And then you make sure you use the code unorthodox, no hyphen, just unorthodox at the checkout to let them know who sent you. And you will be smooth and you will thank us for it. I, I love how there's like a ting in your voice when you say German. I know. Engineered. I was just going to say, I will never stop laughing at the fact that like, that's what we're touting. Like, you know, you know what we mean. German. <laughs> that's how good it is. It's so good that we Jews are telling you to go get the German engineered. But no, for real. I mean, look, my grandmother was one of those people who wouldn't buy a German engineered car. And then years later... Well, my grandfather. I, I had a Volkswagen. One of uh, one of my grand you know, my grandfather's family is one of those people who uh, you know suffered a lot uh, from German engineering. But you know, <laughs> we take what we can get. Um, our guest Gentile this week is. Oh God, how do you pronounce your name? Matu Okrimin. Matu Okrimin. Is there an R in the? There O-Krimin? is not. Quimin. Quimin. Matu Okrimin. Quimin. Quimin. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> this actually gets dangerously close to what we're going to talk about, which is my my non-conversance with the Irish language. <laughs> Are, um, so is your first name what we would render in oppressive Anglo-sphere language as Matthew? It is indeed. Or Matt? It is indeed. <laughs> a good Jewish name. Yeah. In America, you're Matt. Yeah, can I we just... <laughs> Matty? Yes. All right. So um, uh, and and he is a journalist uh, with – and how do you say your website? Turishk. Turishk. Dot IE. And we're, like, I'm not going to spell this for anyone because I want people to actually go to it. So you should go to our website and we will we will explain to you how to spell all this Irish stuff. It's Ireland's national online news service. Uh, he used to work for the national television news. And he mainly is it is it true that you mainly work in in the Irish language? I've only ever worked in the Irish language. You've only ever worked in yeah. the Irish language. That's that that can't be said about too many journalists or or am i wrong there too um i would know most of the people that i work with now have only worked in irish we've like i've written pieces in english for um you know irish central they're based it's based in new york as well i've written pieces in english for them but my job job has always been in irish okay then you're the perfect person to have on because um just a little background for our listeners uh a few weeks ago you you were the one right who got me in a whole boatload of trouble I was, I because apologize. No, that's that's okay. Oh, no, you no, shouldn't no, apologize. No, apologize. We apologize. It. <laughs> it was we, we had we had, they had good fun seeing me, you know, uh, you know, strung up on it, basically crucified. Basically, what was done to too me soon. was <laughs> too, too soon. Two thousand years later, no crucifixion jokes. Basically, um, I made a joke a few weeks back. We had Sarah Aroesti on, uh, who is trying to part of the movement, trying to keep alive and revive the language Ladino, which is sort of Iberian or Spanish Yiddish in a sense. And I said, I joked badly, I suppose, that Irish was spoken by like 12 sad old guys at an Irish festival. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I felt like this was a joke at the expense of our Ladino speaker, a fellow Jew. But somehow you heard about this and you wrote about it. And the next thing I know, I was caught up in this swirling Irish Twitter mob where essentially I had become the American enemy of the Irish language. So can you, from your perspective, how did you even hear what I said? I mean, we don't think we have a lot of listeners Is it a Ireland. Google alert? Yeah, like, is, do you have a Google alert on, well, I don't even know what it would be on. What, what happened over there? <laughs> you have... A listener who is, as far as I can tell, I'm sure you have more listeners than that. You have more than 12. But you have a listener who, as far as I can tell, is American and who listens to your podcast with regularity. And there's also an Irish speaker. And uh, we share her in that she also reads our paper or our news news site. And uh, she heard you um, and was appalled and emailed me and said, this has gone all over America, have a listen to it, and sent me a link to your thing. So I listened. <laughs> I wrote down what you said. And you were outraged, uh, outraged by this ignorance. Uh, oh. T- tell, us, tell, us about, uh, tell us about Irish. Tell us the truth. Well, no, no, wait, wait. First, we have to just get the full story of what happened to me. So okay. did you have a sense? I mean, was this, was this a, a hit job? Like, were you like, we're going we're gonna to teach him through Irish no, Twitter? because she had started to attack you on Twitter, and it was kind of getting picked up in the Irish language community on Twitter. People were, were looking at it. So um, I think you were probably already under fire when I published the article, and I just threw petrol onto it and it got worse but um, then I wrote the article and I threw in a few tweets embedded a few tweets and uh, because people find this kind of thing interesting um, and we're not often talked about in America so it was interesting so, so let, me, let me ask you for a, a big favor just mm-hmm. for, for our listeners could you say something terrible about Mark Oppenheimer in Irish right now for us and make it really I mean just brutal just, just, just go crazy <laughs> Uh, something terrible about them. Actually, I, yeah, did, yeah. I did an article last week about the best curses in Ireland. Oh, so, yes. oh yeah, yeah. Some Perfect. of those, I'll please. pick one of them up now. It'll take me a few <laughs> seconds to get it. And uh, pretend someone put it on Twitter about him last okay. week. <laughs> uh, oh, what was a good one? I can actually, I can give you a string of curses if you want. You just tell me. Yes, stop, please. Just put the name Mark up. Just, yeah, work me in somewhere. <laughs> okay. to hear your Mark up on higher. Leave father gun fields here. Shot knocky dig against fish in the heart here. Kalka field and the gestopping air. Tom Rillig against grilly tress there and knas mine there. And we honeyed. Ploy lustrous there. Agnes Job here. God, thank you. It's like I've been meaning to say that for this, so long. This is my new ringtone right here. <laughs> this is amazing. It's, I think, would, it's you so- like, would you like a translation? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, right. I hope these are all curses. Like, we're a very, we're a great language for we blessings get and curses. Okay. <laughs> I hope he lies and he never rises. I hope he gets the 37 diseases of the ark. I hope all his pipes get plugged <laughs> up. <laughs> Those are sort of like Yiddish insults. Yeah, the same idea. Right. They're like very specific, very bizarre, like things you want to happen. You to guys someone. are so Jewish. It's yeah. crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> That's basically like being yelled at by the <laughs> old grandmother, illiterate great uncle I just off the boat. Apparently, we share oppressive mothers. <laughs> Apparently. So one of the funny things about being attacked by Irish Twitter is everyone was attacking me in Irish. Irish. And I kind of I did want to say to them, if you're really trying to get under my skin, you might want you might want to not like having made clear that I don't know Irish, yelling at me in Irish. But of course, there the genius to it was, and maybe they were think maybe they were five steps ahead. Maybe they were, you know, Gary Kasparov. But um the genius was that I assumed the worst, right? So it, when I couldn't understand what you all were saying, I figured you were like attacking you know my my dead mother basically i know a, pro- a lot of them there's a few people who you're really irritated but then there was a lot of, uh, 
I love the tongue-in-cheek <laughs> thing. I know that uh, some fellow sent you a video of um, the end of a festival. We have a massive festival in October called Erechtus Nassauna. Um, and it's kind of, it's a big, everyone comes together. It's a great, it's a great weekend. Um, and there's party and dancing and singing and drinking. But he put up a video of that weekend, as I assume was about six or seven o'clock in the morning when all that was left standing was about 12 people on the dance floor. And he put that up saying, oh, this is, we can understand why you, uh, <laughs> why you thought there was only 12 of us. But if you had been here seven hours beforehand, you would have seen the other 5,000. I don't mean to objectify you, but I feel like I'm like we're gonna like run into you in a rom com or something. <laughs> like I'm really enjoying this right now. Are you talking about rom coms in Ireland? Do you know what she's talking about? Oh yeah, we do. You had uh, like- there was an appalling one um, with Amy Adams in it and an English man trying to be Irish called Yeah, that's Leap very day. true. Leap year. Leap year. Oh, oh, that was awful. And He's then- gonna be the charming guy like at the manor house in, in yeah, where they take the, the one- romantic weekend. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the one she dumps her uptight American banker she boyfriend. She meets him for. while she's abroad in Ireland. <laughs> they reconnect twenty years later. But Stephanie, you're not helping our cause because you think that only because you think he has this sexy accent. All right. and what I, we're trying- I think that's a, a fine way to objectify. And what like, we're, we're, aren't you happier with I'm that? I'm totally than- fine with that. And yeah, yeah. And we're looking at a, at a picture of you. I'm sorry. You kind of, you kind of, you apply. You, you, you look, look like Colin Farrell. He's you kind of look the That's very Ameronormative of you. <laughs> All right. So, so Matt, if I may, uh, <laughs> as, as the only person here who does not objectify your people and your culture, mm-hmm. would you please educate us about it? Would you please tell us something about Irish oh, uh, uh, people who speak it, the culture? How, how does it you know, survive in the face of the English onslaught all around? Right. It is the oldest vernacular language in Europe, written vernacular language in Europe. Um, I couldn't give you a date, but hundreds and hundreds of years it goes back. It was primarily the main language of the island of Ireland until around the middle of the 1800s when we were struck by uh, what you would call the famine. Uh, the, the potato famine, I don't know if you know about that, but a million people died and a million people emigrated, most of them to the east coast of America. So that, Right, those, those of us who grew up in Massachusetts know all about it, I you assure go. you. There's also an amazing uh, memorial for it right here in uh, Tawny, downtown Manhattan. Really? Yeah. That's right, yep. Across the street from a very good Mexican restaurant, by the way. <laughs> which, is how, which is how Liel Hashtag knows. America. <laughs> <laughs> which is how I discovered it as I'm eating my burritos. Like, what's that? Oh, a million people dead from famine. There oh. you go. That's it. And then also, under the oppressive laws of British occupiers, um, it was, it was kind of trampled upon. There was laws saying that, you know, you couldn't, uh, you're not allowed to speak Irish. You couldn't deal with the, the courts, of the, the British courts that took over. You couldn't use Irish to deal with your things. And that's how they actually stole lots of land from small Irish farmers. They brought them into court saying, we own this land. If you can defend yourself efficiently, we will yield and give it to you. But then, of course, the farmers couldn't speak English. And they said, oh, well, you know, you're obviously an idiot, so we're just going to take the land. So there was a lot of that. Um, so it dwindled and dwindled and dwindled. And then at the end of the 1800s, start of the last century, there was what you call widely the Celtic revival, and then mainly in Ireland, the Gaelic revival, which came about. It was dance, sport, language, all that kind of thing. And it kind of got a, a reboost from there. And then with the establishment of the independent Irish state in the 1920s, uh, Irish made the official language of Ireland and uh, it's spoken by, in the last census, we're about to take a census this Sunday coming, so we have a more clearer picture, but obviously I don't know the result of that yet. In the last one, 2011, 40% of the Irish population said that they had some understanding of Irish, and I would estimate that it's about 100,000 people uh, speak it on a daily basis from now, which probably sounds very small to... No, 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 it, I mean, so... The, that's remarkably like Hebrew, by the way. Yeah, yeah, so to be clear, when I said that... I, 
only 12 sad old guys at an Irish festival speak Irish. That, that was wrong. And I'd like to apologize <laughs> to all of Ireland. Matt, this has been amazing. And thank you for letting us call you Matt. Before we go, could you teach us how to say something useful so that if I show up and some people who know me from Twitter are ready to take me down, I or can... Or maybe for Passover, we, we have oh. a whole, a whole you know, holiday yes, we have a holi- about, about liberation holiday. and mm-hmm. freedom and, you know... Mm-hmm. Breaking out of bondage, which is something that I think our, our people share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something about freedom. It's funny about What's Passover, a... I can tell you what the Irish of Passover is. It's Koshk which means the Jewish Easter. I don't know how you feel. <laughs> okay, teach us, teach us how to say that. Happy, say, how do we say Happy Jewish Easter in Irish? Banachti. 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 Oshk. 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 Ori. There you go. To, from from Ireland to our listeners, thank you so much for coming on. Is it is it safe for me to come to Ireland now? Oh yeah, you're more than. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> Is problem shin khana va ekla ma in ten ma yana to shin to resha ko khit na tigareva va agat kha erza shisha am ko ta ta agan yama khina shishin the down the spirit that goes to here sha akhara vain dan am shina Hey guys a little bit of reader mail actually we get a lot of reader mail and thank you guys so much for sending it we we read it we send it around to each other we have a lot of fun with it and it really makes us feel like um close to our audience which we really appreciate but Only a couple letters made the cut this week of just the letters that we couldn't not read. Here's one. Dear Unorthodox, on a recent episode, you briefly speculate about the most goyish sports, offering lacrosse as a primary candidate. Stephanie agreed, adding that good lacrosse players tend to, quote, go to Del Barton, which is an all-boys prep school in suburban New Jersey. I am an English teacher at Del Barton, as well as a Jew. Ironically, the first lacrosse coach at Del Barton back in the 70s was Jewish. Coach Levine. More broadly, it's worth stating that one in five of our students are non-Catholic, identifying as Jewish, Muslim, Buddhist, Protestant, or nothing at all. While some families may choose Del Barton for its Roman Catholic values, many do so for its strong academics and college placement. And yes, perhaps it's the cross program too. I appreciate the shout out, but wanted to chime in. Thanks. Love the show. Yours, Kevin Brown. So I stand corrected. Wow. Um, yeah. I apologize. You were distracted I by like the tall, throw, waspy, yeah. Del Barton rowers, yeah. and you didn't remember. I like to throw around generalities without, you know, anything behind them. Well, you're talking to the guy who just insulted all of Ireland. So, um, And here, here now, the greatest letter that Unorthodox has ever received, bar none. Yeah, we will. This, it's all downhill from it's here. It's all downhill from here. Yeah. We might as well all stop writing. We might as well stop recording. Dear Unorthodox, in response to your Palo Alto Jewish guest who wondered if his 12 Syrian hamsters were Jewish, well, as you know, the thorny question of who is a Jew is plenty complicated, but who is a Jewish hamster? That's easy. His hamsters, may they be fruitful and multiply, are certainly eligible to come... are certainly eligible to make aliyah under the law of return. You see, all domestic hamsters that exist today are descended from three hamsters brought to Jerusalem from Syria in 1930 to be bred as laboratory animals by Hebrew University professors Saul Adler and Israel Aharoni. As Wikipedia reports, in 1930, Aharoni set off to look for Syrian hamsters at the request of his colleague Saul Adler, a parasitologist who was looking for an easily breedable alternative to the Chinese hamster for research on the disease Leishmaniasis. Syrian hamsters had been discovered and named by George Robert Waterhouse in 1839, but had not been sighted since. Together with a Syrian guide named Georges Khalil Tahan, Aharoni managed to discover a nest containing a female and 11 young in the Aleppo region. Uh, 
However, cannibalism of one of the litter by the mother and the subsequent death of the mother meant that Aharoni had to hand rear the pups during the journey back. The four that made it back were bred successfully and used extensively in laboratories before being introduced to the pet market in the U.S. and the U.K. in the 1940s. Yours truly, Rabbi Jeffrey Sachs, The Toby Press. Oh my God! All hamsters are Jews. I feel All like that was like a Bible story that David Tuchman could go nuts with. Yeah, the Jewish, the Jewish hamsters. Oh, <laughs> That's like the Schindler list of hamsters. You realize it's like there's the one in the red coat, Aleppo. Yeah, and also like the species was nearly <laughs> obliterated, and then <laughs> the four that survived repopulated the world from Jerusalem. From Jerusalem, and do, do Israel do Israelis even know this, Leo? It's hamster time. Do, no, we do not. Unbelievable. God, the hamster is now the official animal of unorthodox. Oh I feel like God. we learned so much. So much. Perhaps a few mazel tovs. First of all, my mazel tov is to yet another letter writer. It's to our Swedish fan, Malina, who sent this letter this week. She wrote, Shalom, guys. First of all, I have to say I love your podcast. I always listen to it while cycling through Stockholm. And sometimes people must think I'm crazy when I start giggling next to them while waiting at a traffic light. I also love all the inspiring guests you have and all the books you're presenting. Mark, your pronunciation of book always sounds so sophisticated. I think it's how you... Ah! (laughs) Hey, don't don't laugh at her. This is my... (laughs) I'm laughing at you. It's the woman I'm leaving my wife for. Your pronunciation of book always sounds so sophisticated. I think it's how you say the K at the end with a soft touch. Keep up the great work. Van Linga Halsningar from your biggest German Gentile living in Sweden fan, Melina. Mazel tov, Melina, for making my year. The Irish hate you, the Swedes? <laughs> Liel, mazel tov. My mazel tov is to uh, my homegirl Gal Gadot, who this week is not in one terrible, but two terrible <laughs> movies. One Batman Superman, one with Kevin Costner. And according to critics, because I'll never pay to see any of these movies, uh, she is the ray of sunshine that saves both of these films from absolute uh, terribleness. So uh, Gal Gadot, Chag Sameach. So I don't know if Mazel Tov, I have like an audio hug for my cousin-in-law, Elizabeth, who listened to, who is Greek Orthodox and married to my cousin who's Jewish and listened to last week's episode where, you know, we had um, Amanda Bradford of the League on and said, she said, you know, users of her dating app, women who aren't Jewish ask if the families of their Jewish boyfriends hate them. So she listened to that and was like, now, I guess now I know. Do the Butniks hate me? And I said, you know what? I think we're still like all amazed that he got that our cousin got said he got cash. married no You're that, no that she's like a, the most amazing person and i feel <laughs> like i i would hate for for those things to you know she makes a mean hanukkah dinner she makes a mean greek easter so basically if the gentile girl is good enough the no i think her. that i just think that like those kinds of sweeping statements are are not helpful and i love elizabeth and i'm so happy she's part of my family and i feel like fuck them right if you have thoughts, comments, praise, or questions for our panel of experts, send them to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Be warned, we might read them on the air. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine. It's on the web at tabletmag.com. It's edited by Julie Subrin and produced by Sarah Ivry and Alyssa Goldstein. Rabbinic supervision this week is by Rabbi Sarah Luria, who got pulled into a confab with Bernie Sanders after they bounced Andy Bachman from the confab for having pro-Hillary tweets on the web. And the kosher slaughtering is by Simone Zimmerman. Our website is tabletmag.com. Our music is by Golem. To get our newsletter, just shoot an email to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Chag Sameach and Shalom, friends. <laughs>